This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to the back-to-school edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Coming up on the show, return to the routine, back-to-class shopping on a budget, and recognizing first-day anxiety in your child. But first, this coming Tuesday, most Ontario students will be heading back to class. So what's in store for our eager learners this school year? Here to explain what the provincial government has planned is the Minister of Education and MPP for King Vaughan, Stephen Lecce. Minister Lecce, thanks for joining us on the feed. You released a plan of action last week detailing changes in curriculum, additional school board responsibilities, new priorities for everything from math to mental health, and really an emphasis on back-to-basics when it comes to the Ontario student school experience. Your plan clearly outlines how. I would like to know why. Because I think we have to have higher ambitions for our kids and get back to the basics of education. We've seen such regression in, 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 in so many fundamental skills in reading, writing, and math, um, in the physical, mental health of children, uh, and of course academics is an important part of that, uh, of that story after the pandemic, and so I think stability is critical to recovery. And so we've laid out a plan to keep kids in school as a first principle. Part of that is getting back to basics with a focus on lifting up those foundational skills. We are, for the first time, putting in place real accountability on school boards to really up their game, to emphasize academic achievement, and to make higher graduation rates, higher EQAO rates in reading, writing, and math, higher levels of participation in math and science courses and job skills programs, letting those metrics now dictate and inform how we make decisions. And I'm going to be holding school boards to account to have better outcomes associated with academic achievement. I also believe that for for this, this health of children, for their mental and physical health, it's critical that we also keep them in a stable and a normal environment. And so our plan is premised on lifting standards, enhancing academics on the skills that matter, and really getting back to those basics that I think uh, help you know, people succeed both in and out of the classroom. Minister Lecce, there seems to be a heavy emphasis on math, and you launched the Math Action Achievement Plan. What's gone wrong in terms of math and students' abilities? Yeah, we've seen regression in math pretty much across the board, around the world to be fair, but Ontario's not an outlier here. We're certainly not among the worst uh, performers, but we're, we certainly aspire to be the best. And so we have now launched a plan to lift standards, a math action plan, a $71 million investment. It allows us to overall hire 2,000 teachers, of which you know, we've doubled the number of math coaches or math teachers essentially, literally, in our schools because we want to have more capacity. So what we're doing is we're requiring every board in the province to have one central lead whose singular responsibility is to improve math outcomes for kids. They're responsible for curriculum implementations, testing, uh, professional development of staff. One individual who's charged with that responsibility. We're doubling the math coaches, as I mentioned, and for the first time in, I can now send in uh, the best math experts in Ontario, part of what's called a math action team. I'm going to send in a SWAT team mm. into a board, into those boards that have historically been underperforming. I think we have to really challenge the status quo. We've had a boards, the bottom quintile of performance on uh, math and, and, and literacy for a decade plus. So at what point does the minister say, look, you've been literally uh, one of the worst performers for, uh, for you know, now 10, 12, 14 years, at what point does someone say, look, something's got to change, so I'm now going to deploy proactively teams, ac- ac- action teams, experts, into boards to work directly with teachers, with their training teams, in the classroom to improve outcomes and to change the trajectory of low performance. I want academic achievement to be the overarching priority of our government and of our ministry and of school boards. And so it requires all of us to really lean into this um, to improve mathematics because it's so relevant and consequential in the economy today. You know, we're teaching kids how to code. We just improved and mandated, expanded financial literacy modules for kids. Now they learn how to per- personal budgeting and personal responsibility and a sense of self-reliance. They're trying to learn how to save for a home and, you know, how to access a good job in the economy of tomorrow. We were emphasizing entrepreneurship and innovation. These are good skills that these young people could apply in their life. And uh, I just think it's exciting, frankly. What we're, what we're, what we're endeavoring to do is, is give these kids a competitive advantage when they graduate, that they can get a good job, they can live a life of ambition, they can 
really lived the Canadian dream that my immigrant parents came here seeking, which is through your hard work, you could have a, you know, a productive life in the country. And I want these kids to know that if they work hard uh, and they emphasize those foundational skills, these kids could do anything. And I really do believe that. And Minister Lecce, you announced a few months ago the accelerated apprenticeship pathway starting in grade 11. That's an interesting uh, aspect of education, and it, it seems to offer those who are more inclined to be in the skills trades the chance to actually start to hone their skills and and make money from it, find a career, get a right. job. Yeah, I mean, these are amazing jobs in skill trades. I mean, this is not like, you know, my grandfather's generation of skilled trades. I mean, these are very cutting edge technologies uh, and it's it really is quite promising when it comes to the income potential pensions benefits I mean these are wonderful jobs often entrepreneurial but regardless is they're they're high wage and they're, they're in demand and we have massive shortages in the economy so we're really trying to destigmatize the path to the skilled trades for any child particularly for girls who are underrepresented next September 2024 I enacted a change that will require every child every student to take at least one tech, technological education course. Well, that means now they have the prerequisites to enter into the overwhelming amount of skilled trades courses. Before, only a third of girls took those courses, which essentially denied them the prerequisites to get into the skilled trades. So now we're going to universalize that. Um, and it's exciting because it's going to open up their doors and their horizons to new uh, jobs in the economy and maybe careers they didn't even know about. So we're, we're using more applied, hands-on learning we're emphasizing skilled trades for sure. We've expanded pathways for apprenticeship, for co-op, for uh, what's called our specialist high skills major program. Essentially, this is like the skilled trades programming we build we have in schools. We're building new schools now with shop classes and skilled trades classes back in it after the former you know, liberals, you know, respectfully over many decades, removed them. We're trying to put them back in because we see huge value and there's a ton of interest. And so. Yes, there's 11% of kids that don't graduate every year. Our government has increased the graduation rate from 85 to 89%. That's a huge achievement. But I'll tell you, there's still 1 in 10 kids that may not get to the finish line. Now, I'm determined to get them there. But for, the, for those that just may not, if we can give them path to a credential that is meaningful, that gives them economic opportunity, you know, I just think that's better than the alternative when we have, have many children drop out of high school, and that leads often to you know, uh, a path that is not necessarily productive or healthy for those young individuals. So I, I just think in, in the, the concept of economic empowerment, that if we can give them a diploma, skilled trades diploma, or a graduation diploma, or both, uh, which is ideal, then, uh, you know, honestly, these young people are going to be in a good place. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. That's what the premier is trying to do, just really help optimize their potential and uh, and connect them with skill sets that I think will, will lead them to good jobs. That, that's part of our mission, ultimately. I mean, in addition to having a safe school, a happy experience, an enjoyable experience, we want these kids to learn something that they can apply in the economy one day. Final question. Education Minister Stephen Lecce, I've got to ask you this. Does this Labor Day long weekend, just a few sleeps until the start of a new school year, bring back memories for you of back to school? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, um, you know, I I remember getting the backpack ready over the weekend, and you know, especially in elementary school, people, you know, you're excited to go back, uh, see your friends, see your teachers. So, yeah, I do have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, warm memories at my Catholic elementary school, my community. Um, I think about my my nieces who are going back to school this year in the Catholic system and in my community, and you know, I just remember that. You know, these are people, it's our young lives uh, that we have responsibility for. You know, it humanizes what we're trying to do, which is give them a leg up, give them an opportunity to succeed. So, you know, a lot of good memories, a lot of good teachers. I want to thank them and thank the staff, the principal, the VAs, the custodians. I mean, I, I can name names. I, I remember the names of good people in my life that in our school system that really made a difference. So thank you to them and, of course, the parents, too, for loving their kids, supporting them. And for any kids out there, you're going back to school, we're going back to basics, and you're going to have an awesome, stable, normal, enjoyable year. We're going to get the clubs and extracurriculars back, sports, all the things you enjoyed last year, you're going to benefit from this year, plus some. So uh, it's something to look forward to, and I just wish everyone a very positive return to school the next few days. Uh, stay positive and stay safe. Hmm. Education Minister Stephen Lecce, thank you for your time here on the feed. Much appreciated. Okay, thank you. Coming up next on the Back to School edition of The Feed, advice from the Ontario Medical Association.
Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. We just heard from Education Minister Stephen Lecce with his government's plans for the 2023-24 school year. Now let's turn our attention to the health and well-being of students as they head back into the classroom on Tuesday. Joining us now is Dr. Andrew Park, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Dr. Park, thank you so much for being our guest on this back-to-school edition of the feed. So what exactly are the health challenges facing Ontario students this fall? Thanks for having me. Um, the, the the challenges are, are fewfold. Um, number one is we know that um, there's going to be a respiratory flu season um, this fall. And typically what we do is we look at the southern hemisphere to examine what our potential flu season might look like. And just examining um, Australia's situation right now, because they're, they're ahead of ours, we know that this is probably going to be a very busy flu season. So um, that's going to be one of the big challenges, whether it's flu, RSV, or yes, still COVID in the system. Why is it that fall brings out the worst in us health-wise, and also it's not, not a, you know, it's, it's understood that we head back inside when it's time to go back to school, but why does that become the perfect storm? Indoor setting and fall, colder weather. Yeah, I, I think you just outlined it there. It's mostly the fact that we start to go indoors, it's colder, so we're starting to spread viruses more easily. Um, and, and that's just the type of peak that, the typical peak that we get uh, throughout our winter seasons that we always seem to have in, uh, uh, in Canada. So how do we arm our children and how do we protect our kids when they go back to school, particularly RSV, flu, COVID, as you talked about? So um, having been through the pandemic for the last few years, we've learned a lot and, and we continue to put those things into practice. Um, I think the big thing is um, from a preventative standpoint, vaccines. I mean, they're the most effective tool that we have in our arsenal. Um, but, but all those other things, like ensuring that we're washing our hands, uh, we learned a lot about going outdoors and having outdoor education and that would really decrease the amount of spread of, of viral infections. Um, and, and, and really just, caring for our neighbors and friends and when you're sick staying away from them that's a big message and you know they say stay home if you're sick it helps stop the spread of everything yeah absolutely remember during covid we really didn't see any other viruses circulating in a large part that was because of those measures around social distancing and 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 being very very cautious now you know, we, we did what we had to do during that time frame. And I think this is obviously a very different timeline that we're dealing with. Um, and, and so, but the lessons still remain that if you're sick, if you're coughing, if you're sneezing, if you've got runny noses, the best way to keep everyone else from getting that is to stay away from them. Let's talk about vaccinations. So how and why should we stay up to date? Yeah, so it's, um, it's really important from a preventative standpoint. Um, that's, you know, the, the vaccine is really what stemmed the tide in, in, the, um, in the pandemic. And, um, and we, you know, I mean, the bottom line is that they work. So that's why we're really recommending them. As to how that, that's, um, you know, whether you get the vaccine now or whether you wait for the, um, the new COVID vaccine that's coming out in September to deal with the XBB variant um, is an individual decision, uh, but it's still something that we encourage. And do we look at combined vaccinations, so flu and COVID all in one, or RSV and flu? Are we at that stage at this point? Right now, we're not at that stage. Um, right now, there, there's different uh, vaccines. And I think it's, it's just important to ensure that we have the, the best coverage that we have. Um, for particularly like our, our elderly populations, our, our uh, immunocompromised populations, these things really make big differences. Mask wearing, that's always been a big issue, even through the pandemic. You know, kids, students, whether they're elementary or, or junior high or high school, you want to be cool, <laughs> but you also want to be safe. How do you, how does a student judge whether he or she should be wearing a mask? How do you do that? But that's been a real challenge um, in general, like, you, you know, with, with social development, uh, we, we, we've kind of come to see what that, the unintended consequences certainly of mask wearing is. 
Um, and, and I think that it's, it's again, that, that is, I think, a very individual decision um, around if you are sick, keep your distance, wear a mask, are certainly tools that we uh, employed during the, um, during the pandemic, and I think that they still hold today. I think that's, again, as I said, I think that's an individual decision, but I think it's important for schools to ensure that, you know, these are safe learning places and that uh, we respect the decisions of individuals to, to attempt to keep themselves safe or, or their families. Oftentimes we have ill family members and, and we just don't want to spread that um, back to them. And, you know, you bring up some good points about including everyone. So vaccinations and mask wearing, we talk about students, but we also should remember that we are talking about teachers and other education support staff when it comes to keeping up with your vaccinations and also the option to wear a mask if you feel it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think it's really about like vaccination, certainly our community endeavor, and, and they're a way that we look at a group of people and say, how do we work to keep each other safe and healthy um, throughout this flu season? Um, and, and certainly teachers and educators are uh, part of that conversation. Let's talk about something that's very important to every aspect of going back to school, and that's the, the big R. And it's not reading, writing, arithmetic. It's routine. Getting students back into a routine. I know that we're in Labor Day weekend as you and I speak right now. So, you know, kids are going back to school and just it feels like right away. How do you encourage students to get back into some sort of routine, and why is it important to have a routine? Um, to have a routine is extremely important for, for childhood development. Um, that includes things like uh, ensuring that you're eating somewhat regular meals, getting a routine amount of sleep, um, and, and, and pretty much everything, every facet of our lives during the pandemic was disrupted. And so we see the consequence of that. Um, and, and, and what it's really about, I think, how do we ensure that um, our, our kids, as they go back to school, are, are, are having the best chance of, of succeeding and developing um, in, a, in, a, in an accelerant fashion, particularly given that during COVID, um, our reliance on remote learning, we, we experienced a dip in their, in their routines, and that was, that was something that we felt acutely. Dr. Park, how important is sleep and regular sleep and good sound sleep to a student's uh, energy level and their ability to absorb the information they're being taught? Well, sleep is massively important. I mean, a lot of a lot of our growth and development comes during that time. It's, it's a period of time for our bodies to get the rest that it needs. Um, and so if you're not able to get that, uh, you know, um, required amount of sleep and, and the quality of sleep, then it's extremely important. Uh, it's extremely harmful uh, to those kids. So it's really important to ensure that they do get regular sleep and, and are on a routine. Can we talk about mental health now at this point? And that's a big component when it comes to the health and safety of anybody, but in particular our students this year. Screen time, it's a big issue. It's a big challenge for parents. How do we monitor and, and what's, what is the Ontario Medical Association's take on how much screen time there should be, I guess, depending on the age and the stage of the student? So I'll start with the mental health perspective. During the pandemic, there was certainly a heightened aware, of, uh, sorry, a heightened um, per, uh, number of, of a prevalence of depression, anxiety amongst our kids in school, um, and, and that's something that you know, we're acutely aware of. We're, we're seeing it in, in emergency departments, family doctors' offices, um, and and that's something that you know we really have to understand better, but also understand what are the factors that go into that and how do we turn that around. Certainly that, as I said earlier, you know, the social development of our remote learning environment uh, played a role in that, um, and that's something that we need to work really hard to reverse. Um, from a screen time perspective, again, we're talking about development. We're talking about development of our children through schools, um, and, and there is a limit to what we can do around screen time that uh, allows for that normal development to happen, and that's something that that the Canadian Pediatric Society has put out a statement on, um, and, and in our media briefing, that was something that we really wanted to highlight, as well as the, the, the tips and tricks that parents can employ to, to help navigate that problem. And still with mental health, and this is a very specific issue, fear of first day. 
everybody has it. I, I still get nervous when I think about kids going back to school, and I'm not there. I'm way far away from first day of school. What do you suggest the students and their parents might do to prepare for the first day of school? And this is psychologically. No, I mean, I have three young kids that are going to school. My youngest is going to school for the first time. So it's something that I um, have experienced myself as a parent. And as a parent, I think you have to give yourself some space for yourself to feel that anxiety. I, I think that you know, it's, it's okay to have those discussions with your children about what that means for you as a family. Um, you know, certainly you can get into the routine of, I would suggest certainly trying a, a routine of getting regular sleep, but not, you know, the day before school, but getting that, you know, well in advance, um, you know, practicing walking your route to the bus station, mm-hmm. talking about what it's going to be like so that they have in some ways experienced it mentally and when it happens, they're ready for it. Um, and, and as I said, just an open conversation with your kid about what they're experiencing and give them the space to come to you um, for, that, uh, for that conversation. And would it help for you to say to your kids, I was very frightened the very first day of school each year, but, you know, it happened and it was behind me and then I loved every aspect of, of school after that. Share your own experience with your children or is that going to ignite fear in them that wasn't there before? <laughs> no, it's a great question. And I think sometimes we're afraid to talk about our own experiences with our own children and uh, I think that's really important because you know, they need to know that they, they're feeling this way for a reason and, um, and it's okay to share those experiences with your kids. Do you think that students are still trying to play catch-up when it comes to things like socialization, literacy, and as we've talked about mental health? You know, the pandemic ripped us to shreds, but we got through it. Uh, are they playing catch-up this season, do you think, this particular school year? Yeah, I mean, that, that's something we're going to be feeling for a while, but the short answer is absolutely. Um, and that, that's why a lot of us return to routine uh, is going to be really important. We talked about like a return to normal, but there's no more normal after a pandemic. So it's really trying to get back to what we want our normal to be. Um, and that is, again, the, the routine socialization, the ability and the, the, the safe spaces for kids to express their fears um, and, and help them learn to socialize. That, that's the, the mental and behavioral aspect of it. But certainly from a, uh, a learning perspective, um, we're still dealing with, with delayed literacy, uh, and that's something that, that we know is a sensitive marker of childhood development. So they are all linked. And Dr. Park, what is your advice? And I'll, I'll we'll make it three-pronged. What is your advice to students as they head back to school on Tuesday? What's your advice to parents and also to the teachers? Wow. <laughs> that's such a great question. I mean, I'll start with parents because I'm a parent um, and... Um, I know, I know a lot of parents are really excited to have the kids go back to school, um, but some are also really anxious and fearful and they don't know what that means. And, and what I would say is, uh, talk to your kids. Don't, don't hold that anxiety to yourself and, and try to really um, understand what it is that they're experiencing so that you know that if they're coming home a little bit more tired, a little bit more grumpy, a little bit more moody, <laughs> that, that you might have a bit of an idea as to what may be causing that and it's proactive. Um, in terms of the students, what I really want to say is have fun, be safe, um, enjoy the process of learning. This is all, this is something that we're all navigating and I realize this is a message geared probably towards an older student, but um, it's also important for the parents to express this to their younger kids too, is that, you know, this is, this is all about exploration and learning and, and we hope to do so in a safe and uh, a safe environment. Well, for here. the teachers, yes, right. so I would just say for the teachers, um, a similar message is just, um, you know, it's okay to feel the, the emotions that you're feeling, um, and, and you just want to, again, um, you know, create safe environments for your students. Well, here's to a happy and healthy 2023-2024 school year. Dr. Andrew Park, President of the Ontario Medical Association, thank you for your time, and, and best of luck to you on Tuesday with your little ones going back to school. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Frankish is next with tips to overcome back to school stress and anxiety. You know, my first day of kindergarten, I cried. 
I screamed. I started at first bell around nine o'clock, did not stop until we went home at noon. All I wanted was my mom. I remember it vividly. I wanted to be at home. I think back now, my poor mother, poor Mrs. Feliatro, who was my very first teacher. Tina Rapke is a professor and researcher jointly appointed to the faculties of education and science at York University and joins me right now. Hi, Professor Rapke. Hi, how are you? I, well, I'm better now than I was years ago when I first ventured into my uh, my very first classroom. Yeah, it can be, it can, big feelings are involved in this, right? It, it, it's, so, you know, it's tough to think what could have been done different at that time. Um, I remember vividly those feelings of anxiety. I know now they were feelings of anxiety. And I was scared and I, and I was confused. And I'm sure there are kids feeling that way right now, knowing that, that in you know a week and a half, they're back in school or they're in school for the first time. Yeah, so we have, we've come a, a far away from hopefully when you and I were children. And we've got a lot of really nice techniques that parents can do at home before sending kids to school um, that'll just help them connect with their kids and actually have them visualize something that is just amazing for them to set up their day. So why don't I just go right into it and tell you just a really quick tip. So um, we call it daydreaming sometimes when I go into classrooms and do this with kids, but um, really it's visualization, right? So what you do is you just sit down with your child and you don't like, it's just, this should be like a really nice, pleasant time to just slow things down and just really connect with them. So you just take a few deep breaths with them and then you start to visualize what that first day might look like, right? Um, you've probably walked by the school before, so you can visualize and you can get them to imagine what their recess might look like. Or you can get them to imagine like maybe one of their possible friends and talk about, you know, what a good friend and what that good friend would be doing and all those kinds of things. But really get them in that moment um, by first slowing them down by doing a little bit of breath work. And what I mean by that is just like, sit down and just say, let's take three deep breaths and breathe with them and just go inhale and then hold it and then exhale. And then really just start getting them thinking about what that first day will be like so that they can envision it in their mind. Um, and then also offer them a different possibility to say, well, you know what, we should be open to other things because maybe we'll have, you know, maybe we'll have two friends or maybe we'll have, maybe our teacher will be someone a little bit different than what we're thinking about too. And we'll just be open to all these like really great things that are going to be happening with us kind of thing. And so I think just that preparing of visualization and you can call it daydreaming because kids often call it daydreaming with me when we do it um, just to get them set up so that, you know, that they have it, that it's going to be a positive experience. How different are the anxieties or are they different? Uh, from from kindergarten and elementary into intermediate into high school, heck, even into post secondary, H- how different are the anxieties? So they're different, but I want to make it clear that so my area of research is around math anxiety, but they're present at all grade levels. So even as early as kindergarten, we see math anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it takes different ways to attend to them, but we want to be really really thoughtful with all kids. And um, whether we're parents or teachers or just adults in their lives, uh, we really just want to be in a position where we're listening to them, right? So that we're really helping them slow down and then we're just listening. We're trying to listen without judgment um, and without sort of like putting our expectations on them. So, for example, like a child, like we just talked about the visualization, right? I would do that like, you know, I would do that for sure with kindergartens and elementary students. Um, and then with older kids, I would actually make that visualization a little bit more specific based on what they're telling me that they're anxious about. So, for example, um, I'll do visualization with high school kids um, before they start doing certain work on, like, functions or something like that, right? And just get them to say, okay, well, when did you, let's remind, let's remember a time when you were really, really successful in math. And then I'll just get them back into that moment again with the breath work and ask them, you know, what they felt like and if there was any certain smells or who was around them and those kinds of things. And then get them to think about those feelings now in a new context that might be more challenging or different for them. So, again, I would just want to emphasize for all grade levels. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's surprising to know that math anxiety exists in kindergarten, 
but we should all be aware that it does. Good advice. Wonderful. Thank you for this. I appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you so much. And I hope that everyone has an amazing start of the year. Tina Rapke, professor and researcher, jointly appointed to the faculties of education and science at York University. Often simply getting back to routine can help ease those back-to-school jitters. Shaliza Backus with that story. All right, we are coming to the end of the summer break. I'm sorry somebody had to say it, but both parents and kids need to go back to a routine or get back into a routine. And sometimes that's a lot easier said than done. So joining me now to help us navigate this is productivity coach Claire Kumar. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you today, Shaliza? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me. I feel like this is a very bittersweet conversation because we're talking about the end of summer. (laughs) Yeah, I used to have serious anxiety. I'll tell you, it started July 31st when I thought, oh my gosh, summer's going to be almost over. I'm much better now. I have strategies around that. But we're here to talk about strategies for back to school and making that a better, better process. Well, I feel like it's interesting that you said that because I feel like anxiety can tie into those things as well. So we'll touch on that as well. But let's start with actually getting the kids to bed and the parents need to get to bed on time, too, because I mean, nobody wants a grumpy mom. How did you know that's where I wanted to start? Right. (laughs) So, yeah, if we want to talk about having a smoother experience all around we have to put ourselves in the position of making good decisions. And the only way we'll consistently make good decisions is if we're well-rested and well-fueled and we have, you know, minimizing stress. So managing sleep as best we can. And, you know, the, the time shift of going back to school is very real for most families because kids might tend to sleep in if they've not been going to day camp, for example especially with a bit of a shift from some parents to working from home, perhaps commutes have gone and there's a different different schedule. So now school is going to start and depending on where you are, that time is going to be a sharp start and it could be much earlier than you're used to. It's really good to take at least a couple of weeks before that Tuesday uh, after Labor Day and really train the body clock to get up when you want to be awake. And our bodies like that consistency. So the more we can advance that and be comfortable in the routine, I know maybe easier said than done, but uh, something that can be really worthwhile to set you all up for success. You know, I do want to come back to the anxiety thing. You know, that could be a lot of the reason why some kids have trouble getting to sleep, period, in preparation for school. So how would you advise parents to navigate through that? I love that question. I think it's about maybe not necessarily getting into deep emotional issues right before bed, but tackling them. Maybe it's over dinner, you know, or early when kids come home from school. I used to say to my kids at dinner time every day, how was your day? What did you do? And then we evolved to say, what did you do for someone else? It was an invitation then we were going to share as a family what had happened to us in that day that was meaningful or challenging. I love that. I love that so much. And I think the dinnertime conversations are also extremely important. As children age, the schedules shift a little bit, and especially as they get into activities that infringe on that evening time. And so all of a sudden, I found some families were finding their evenings were no longer sitting together as a family. I was I really worked hard to protect that in my family. But I know somebody else who was an executive and their family with three children really was very, very busy in the evening. And so they made breakfast, the time where family had a sit down cook meal together. You know, I feel like we're just reading each other's minds today because that was my next question. Breakfast. Can you please tell us the importance of breakfast? Because I grew up in a house where breakfast was indeed the most important meal of the day. I wasn't allowed to leave the house without eating something in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because just from a personal perspective, I've realized my attachment to breakfast has shifted dramatically in the last few years. And I imagine for some others, it has too with things like intermittent fasting going on and a choice to maybe perhaps eat lighter. It may depend on, first of all, what you're asking your body and mind to do in the morning and how early that needs to happen. So if you're starting with a workout, maybe you don't eat first thing right? If you're starting with uh, traveling and driving, your brain's going to need glucose to manage those <laughs> that uh, that <Right>. journey, <laughs> right? Right. So I think examining what you're asking first thing is really important. And then certainly our brains need fuel. Our bodies need fuel to sustain our energy. We need hydration as well. 
And so figuring out when it makes sense, depending on the age of your child, and especially I want to mention as teens age, their circadian rhythm shifts and they want to sleep in. So I don't know how many parents I've chatted with that are like, my kids don't eat breakfast in the morning. You know what? Have then for the child who wants to get out the door and is just barely making it as it is, have some grab and go options that are prepared the day before or the weekend before so that you've pre-planned and anticipated what a child needs and then can make it ready. And actually involving the kids is a really, really wonderful way to have better success with that. And what about eating habits? Because I mean, those grab and go meals might not be necessarily as healthy as you'd hope. Well, that's where you get to decide what they are, right? Is it a pre-processed package crackers and processed meat? Or is it some cherry tomatoes and some nuts? Or depending on now also the environment that your child is going into and whether there are nut allergies. There's a lot to contend with, but there are healthy options that can be grab and go as well. It often takes a little more thought because the packaged food is designed for convenience. It's marketed to make you all your taste buds dance and make you feel like you've done something good for yourself, but it can be loaded with poor quality oils, way too much sugar, too much salt. There can be just a whole pile of unhealthy ingredients in that. And I do want listeners to know know that I am not a nutritionist. So please check with your nutritional guidance and your doctors when you're choosing your diet. But I think the first thing is to, to understand what food sensitivities and tolerances are there and design around that. And then get your child involved in creatively choosing things. Like what can we do that's fun? right? What can we do that's fun? Maybe, you know, boiled eggs aren't your thing, but maybe little quiche bites are. And so that's planning it on the weekend. So those are ready and grab and go. Love that. I love that so much. And, you know, I feel like there are a lot more healthy options that cater to a lot of food and sensitivities. And that's another thing, though. The grocery store can get a little overwhelming. So do you have any tips for shopping to create that perfect morning routine? Traditionally, we talk about shopping the perimeter of the grocery store because that's where the unprocessed food is. Think before you go. If you go shopping when you're hungry, you're asking for a disaster. Of course, everything is going to tempt you and you'll be like, oh, I'll take some of those and those and those, right? So having your plan and I think talking about it as a family, how are we going to handle food? We need to do this, you know, multiple times a day. How are we going to, as a team, I talk about having your home team and having home team meetings. And I think it's really well worth discussing, you know, how's it going and what what's, what's making you excited about your lunch, what's making you want to trade it, what's making you want to just bring home that sandwich and you're not touching it. Involve the kids in the design. I used to buy, um, well, I bought uh, a plastic cutting knife and it was it's for cutting lettuce so that the metal of the knife doesn't oxidize the leaf and it turns brown. But they are fantastic tools for young kids to be able to now cut their sandwich or cut cut whatever it is that they want to now be involved in and they can't hurt themselves. That's a tip I never knew I needed. You have to slow down as a parent if you want skills to transfer. And I used to set both of my kids, they were two years apart, on two chairs on the other side of the counter from me. And I'd say, okay, we're a team preparing dinner and you get a cutting board and you get a cutting board. You can have an apron each and you're gonna have your job. One became a superb guacamole maker, like mushing that avocado is actually fun. You know, and you started to see a development of skill and food awareness as well. And I think the two go hand in hand. It takes a little bit more effort. So parents, you gotta subscribe to, you know, short-term pain for long-term gain, but the lessons and the skills that they're developing go a long way to their relationship with food overall. This has been absolutely lovely. So many great tips. And Claire, before I let you go, if you had like three major tips for parents and kids alike to get back into a good back to school routine, what would you say? Okay, the biggest thing that helped our family, love your leftovers. So you're planning dinner anyway, cook more. That's usually a well-rounded, nutritious meal. Turn that into breakfast, turn that into lunch. And I would have the kids plaque their lunch for the next day before the kitchen was cleared up. So that's that's one. I think tuning into preferences, follow what your kids are telling you. They, they prefer in terms of textures and colors and crunch. We're sensitive animals and we need to, to follow that. And that will help us the most. And above all, I want to circle right back to the thing you opened with. 
the concept of getting enough sleep will set you up for great decisions for the rest of the day. Love that. Claire Kumar, productivity coach. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the rest of your summer because the days are limited. Oh, they are. I will. (laughs) Thanks so much. After the break, collecting backpacks and lunchboxes for students in need. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the Back to School edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. According to the latest survey from the Retail Council of Canada, consumers are planning to spend carefully and purchase lower-priced items before heading back into class. Jim Lang with those details. It's hard to believe, but we're about to get back to school and back to the reality of the daily routine of kids back in class as families get ready. Our friends at the Retail Council of Canada have done a fascinating survey on back-to-school shopping. To talk more about it, I am thrilled to be joined by Michelle Wasilishan. Michelle, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, it's it's really fascinating to me, and there's a few things that have came up in this survey that really jumped out at me, but uh, almost two-thirds of Canadians, 66%, will make a dedicated trip to buy back-to-school items, and in 2022, it was only 33%. That's a big jump. It is. Um, we don't really have any insight into why that big of a switch. I think one of the things that um, is happening, another part, part of our survey shows that families are really looking forward to returning to stores to do their shopping. Mm. Whereas in years past, we've really seen a lot of that shopping was being done online. And the survey this year shows that almost double the amount of consumers from last year will return to shopping in a store for the items that they're looking for, which really does make sense because we're used to back to school shopping really being a tradition of a family outing. You bring your kids with you to try on the shoes, to choose the backpack, that kind of thing. And so that's what I think that we're, we're seeing um, that, that we're seeing this year. Now, we assume that we're such a, a computerized electronic society now, yet through your fascinating survey, Michelle, over 60% of people say their top spending category is going to be stationary for the kids. It is. And what our survey shows is that people are still spending their money, but they're doing so carefully. They're doing so mindfully. Now, if you backtrack and look at last year. So we also do an annual holiday shopping survey. And we saw that trend starting late last year when people started to be concerned about finances and raising inflation and those kinds of things. And so this year, it's really interesting because Canadians are still going to spend. They still intend to spend on necessities when they need them. But that shift to stationary, which didn't even make the list last year, is interesting because it's that lower ticket item. And so I think it's it's indicative of Ah. consumers wanting to make those purchases, but being careful and perhaps even deferring some of the bigger uh, purchases that they may have made in years past. Now, that's a, it's a brilliant point by you and your staff, Michelle, to realize that because of the inflation, because of the economy, because of the expense of everything, that maybe the trends of what families are looking for when they buy have changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. I think it does as well. Um, we have seen throughout the past year that Canadians do continue to spend, but they're cautious about how they spend their money in light of those things that you mentioned, the higher interest rates, inflation, um, you know, housing, those kinds of things. And so when it comes to basics and necessities for families, they still are spending. They're just being very cautious about how they do so. And when you look at the past couple of years as well, we saw quite an uptake a few years ago on electronics furniture, those kinds of back-to-school items. And so, you know, it could also be that those bigger ticket items that really peaked in the years past are just not ready to be replaced yet, right? We we tend to expect that those items will last, um, hopefully, several years. And so, you know, there could be that in, in the play as well. Now, this is something I didn't really think about, but it makes sense now through your extensive survey that because the supply chain is back to basically normal, consumers tend to shop closer to the start of the school year. And I thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because there's less of a panic that things won't be there. 
That's bang on. And so, again, in the past couple of years, we have been in situations where people were expecting um, items were going to sell out or not be available on the shelves. And so they were really rushing to do their shopping. They were shopping all over the place for back-to-school shopping well before back-to-school was even about to begin. But what we're going to see this year is that consumers have said that they're going to do their shopping two to four weeks before the return of school. So right about the time frame that you and I are talking now. And back-to-school shopping continues after school as well because sometimes your kids will come home and they'll say, hey, I need this now that school has started. And so back-to-school shopping really does lead up to the start of school, but then also continues throughout the month of September. And Michelle, part of the survey that also was interesting is um, department stores, drug stores, uh, a trail behind big box retailers. But a lot of times in these department stores and drug stores now, they have multiple items you can buy. You can buy a lot of different things than traditionally you could buy in a drug store. It's changed quite a bit. It has. Um, And again, it's important and consumers, I think what we'll see this year, will be shopping around to see where they can get the best deals. Um, lots of people do like one-stop shopping, whether it's in the drugstore or the big back, uh, back, the big box retailers, excuse me. Um, so it's really a mix of where we see consumers intending to do their shopping. Because everyone is concerned about inflation and the cost of living and the price of everything, how important is it to have basically a game plan? Like you get the kids, your, your child, you're going to the, you have like, I'm going to go to this store and this store and this store because they have the best deals for this and map it out instead of just kind of go higgly piggly and figure out as you go along. I think lots of people do that. The other thing that we see is consumers tend to do a lot of research online to see where the best prices are, and Mm. then they will go into the store to buy the items. So I think everybody right now, as they're being cautious about how they spend their money, um, they're, you know, they're doing the research to see where they can get those deals. And um, so definitely, I think that comes into play. If people want to get more details about this great survey, where can they go to for the Retail Council of Canada? Uh, It's on our website, and um, there's lots of great information on there. It is an annual survey that we do every year. The next survey that we have coming up will be our holiday shopping, and that's kind of the next big trend where we see what consumers are going to do this year in light of all of the cost considerations that we have at play. Michelle, I I appreciate it, and I don't know, our listeners, we get a lot of feedback. They really appreciate what you and the Retail Council of Canada do and the insight because it it gives good insight, gives good tips, good information, and also it, it kind of enlightens us to the trends of shopping. And a lot of what you said, like, it really makes perfect sense. Thank you. Thank you for that. We enjoy the surveys as well, and we think that they're insightful both for our consumers and for our retailers. And I think it is important to see the trends. You know, one of the things that we talked about earlier in this interview was the shift to returning to in-stores. But that doesn't mean that the trend of online shopping is any less important. And from a retail perspective, what our retailers are doing is ensuring that consumers, wherever they shop, whether it's online or physically in a store, that that experience is seamless. And so, you know, that is an important trend that we will be keeping our eye on to see if there's any more of a shift uh, this upcoming season. But um, it's always good to know what people are thinking and doing, and it helps everybody out. Thank you so much, Michelle, and good luck with your own back-to-school shopping. Thank you very much. In Richmond Hill, the Salvation Army's backpack program is underway to ensure students have the supplies they need for the new school year. Glenn Perkins has the details. With the return to class comes the additional cost of buying school supplies and other much-needed accessories. This can put a financial burden on low-income families. Pastor Krista Andrews says the Salvation Army Richmond Hill Community Church is doing what it can to help. This time of year, you know, should be a time of joy, shouldn't it? (laughs) When our kids all head back to school. But for a lot of parents, especially those that have more than a couple of kids, it certainly is is a time of great financial strain. And so, you know, we certainly recognize that as the Salvation Army. And for low-income families, it's especially challenging and especially difficult. And so us at the Salvation Army here, uh, we collect donated brand-new backpacks lunch boxes, water bottles, and all of the basic needs that are for school. And people can come to us then to receive those things um, if they're under some financial strain. And so that's what we do here at the Salvation Army over the next couple of weeks leading up to the start of school. How many backpacks are you hoping to fill? We're, we're 
hoping for 250 to 300 here locally at uh, Richmond Hill. But, you know, depending upon what the donations we give as the donations come in. And we're finding that this is becoming the norm, isn't it, for families? We have rising inflation. The price of putting food on the table is also going up. So families in need, it's an everyday occurrence. Absolutely. And here at the Salvation Army, you know, we continue to see an increase just as much as our local food bank here in Richmond Hill is also seeing an increase of people who are needing some assistance in very specific ways. And so we just want to come alongside our families and just make things easier for them as they balance, uh, you know, increased rent, increased grocery uh, bills, increased everything that's around us. And uh, yeah, we just want to release the tension because back to school should really be a wonderful and exciting time for kids in our region and for kids in our neighborhoods. And so we want to create that space uh, for the families where we can. And you're certainly doing that with the backpacks and school supplies. How would they be distributed? Is it first come, first serve? Yeah, it's first come, first serve, and we're taking appointments now. And so people just come into our location on 588 Edwards Avenue, and they can make a donation or they can uh, have an interview uh, to be, uh, you know, assisted in the way that it's needed. And so we would invite people just to kind of connect with us either uh, on telephone or uh, through an interview process, and they can come here and visit us at 588 Edwards Avenue. In the past, there may have been some kind of stigma attached to this, but now that barrier has been broken down, hasn't it? I think everybody is struggling these days, and I don't think it's necessarily about low-income families anymore. I actually think that those of us, you know, that are working from day to day, just trying to make ends meet, that that's more the standard now today than anything else. And so, yeah, this we don't even we don't even worry about any of those things. We just want to get out into the community and help where we can. What's the reaction on the parents, caregivers, children's faces when you hand over those backpacks? Oh, you know what? It's a lot of fun because, like I said, going back to school should be a fun and exciting time. And so often, you know, when kids are given a new backpack, it's a, it's a huge smile on their face. And that's what, you know, brings joy to our hearts as well. And so it's interesting, you know, because things have changed for back to school. Supplies as such aren't needed anymore because a lot of the stuff is digital now. So even paper, like what we would have needed in the past is not the same as what's needed now. But what is needed is new backpacks, new lunch boxes, and new water bottles and uh, some of those supporting things. And so, yeah, there's just, it's, a great, it's a great environment to be in and just spreading joy. And Christy, just remind me again, the process, people who need these backpacks, how can they get one? Yeah, well, look, they can give us a call um, and we can book an appointment. We'd be happy to do that. We just want to go through the process of connecting in with our family services manager, Mary. And so they can call us at 905-737-0496 to book an appointment and for us to be able to help out with uh, what they need. Thank you so much for helping the community in this way. Yeah, we're happy to do so. That's Krista Andrews, pastor at the Salvation Army Richmond Hill Community Church. And that number again, 905-737-0496. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Good luck going back to school, and thank you for listening.